In the Perspectrum podcast, we discuss controversial topics. Outside of this context, Michael and I are both working professionals. While doing this show, we are not acting as agents or representatives of our respective institutions. And none of the views that we express reflect the outlooks of our employers. So don't come to my office and throw toilet paper at me. And I don't have an office, but don't come to my cube. Welcome to the Respectrum. I'm Nathan Seelove. I'm Michael Bloom. I'm Brianna Kasuma. And I'm Jess Seelove. What? We have a full house. Holy <laughs> shit. It's it's the live special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing better to temper our male conservative voices than our female <laughs> liberal partners when we're talking about uh, our abortion spectacular-thon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, so th- yeah, and this is, we've taken a few weeks off. What a I, fucking time me. to take a few weeks off. Yeah, it's it like, really hey, was. Michael, did I miss anything? <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, I don't know. I also took the time off. Yeah, yeah. so today, uh, like our episode when we first heard about the news about Roe versus Wade, it is going to be abortion, abortion, and abortion. Our first segment, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the politics surrounding the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Then we're going to get into some of the major consequences of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And then we're going to have a little interesting discussion about the process of changing one's mind from being pro-life to pro-choice. Because actually half of us on this pod were once pro-life. So I think that's going to be a really interesting discussion. Yeah. You might say the process of aborting your pro-life views. <laughs> Somehow I knew you Sport made being... like bad dad jokes on here. <laughs> <laughs> or being born into a more progressive stance. Yeah, yes. Yeah. There we go. That's a much more... Speaking of stances, Michael, where do we stand on COVID? Oh, boy. So, so far, we've hit 552 million cases worldwide. Um over the last seven days, we have averaged 716,000 new cases per day, which is up from 597,000 new cases per day a week ago, which is a 20% increase in new cases. But at the same time, we've hit 6.36 million deaths with an average daily new death rate of 1,378, which is up from 1,272 the last week. So that's just up 8%. So obviously still concerning that it's up at all. But the fact that, you know, uh, cases are up 20 percent, but deaths are only up 8 percent. That's a pattern that we've started to see since widespread vaccination has taken place. Um, and one one other thing to note is that uh, 1300 daily deaths, while still a lot. Worldwide, those are some of the numbers that we were seeing in the U.S. during some of the, you know, kind of average days of the pandemic. In the U.S., in the peak of the pandemic, we were seeing 3,500 deaths per day from COVID. Um, And yet now worldwide, we're down to less than half of that. Um, And that's largely thanks to vaccination. So vaccination rate worldwide is at 68.1% with a single dose. In the U.S. at this point, we've hit 89.3 million cases, with daily average cases over the last seven days at 105,000. That's up from 100,000 the week before, so about a 5% increase in a week. We've hit 1.042 million deaths, um, 
And over the last seven days, we've averaged just 265 deaths per day, which is about the same as the week before. And again, to put that into perspective, at the peak, we are looking at 3,500 deaths per day in the U.S. from COVID. So that's significantly down. And in terms of vaccination in the U.S., 78% have one dose, 67% have two doses, and 32% have three doses. So at this point, we're getting to like, with two doses, like herd immunity of like the more efficacious level. Um, and then hopefully at some point we'll be able to reach two thirds or even 70 some percent with three doses, but we'll just have to see. So what you're telling me is that vaccinations are having an impact. That's what it seems like. Cause, cause it feels, cause it feels like to me that there are so many unanswered questions that I haven't bothered to Google yet. Mm. You mean like, like, how much are they tracking you now that you're vaccinated? <laughs> Will it cause autism? I mean, uh, hey, hey, where are they getting those numbers from? I mean, that is so true. It's from the tracking chip that they put in the vaccine. How would they know if you're how else would they know so how many true. people have gotten vaccinated if they don't have tracking chips? Thanks, Bill Gates. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's an awkward position that we're in when the COVID numbers were the highlight of the episode. Yeah. It's been, that's kind of been the case for the last few episodes, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah. And that's just thanks to the Supreme Court, honestly. <laughs> yep. So, uh, without further ado, let's talk about the Supreme Court, which, yeah. God, they really fucked us. <laughs> yeah. So, so they fucked us in a lot of ways, ways that we'll be unpacking for like weeks to come, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but the one that we're talking about today is specifically doing exactly what they said they were going to do and have been saying yeah. that they're going to do for like, well, since like 2016 at least. Yeah. And that's overturning Roe v. Wade and Planned, Planned Parenthood v. Casey um, and getting rid of the constitutional protection for the right to access abortion care, which has been, you know, legally in place for nearly 50 years. Yeah. And what's interesting about this is that the, the law that was being challenged in this specific court case was not bringing into question Roe versus Wade at large. Yeah. It was a 15-week ban in Mississippi, yeah. which, by the way, Roberts, who technically, like, he, he sided with the rest of the court in terms of upholding that law, but he did not side with the rest of the court in terms of overturning Roe versus Wade. And recently... I was watching Fox News because I watch a lot of Fox News. Yeah. And I happened to see one of our favorite conservatives make a very interesting argument that was actually internally consistent, where he was saying that basically, if, if conservatives are going to bitch about judicial activism, how is this not judicial activism? Because what they could have done is just stopped at the 15 weeks and not overturned Roe. Yeah. But they didn't do that. They took a stance on something that the court case wasn't even about in the first place mm -hmm. and pushed it further. And you know what? Well, you want to know what the funny part of this is? You know who made that argument, Michael? Cucker Tolson? No. Really? Alan Dershowitz. No. <laughs> the D-bag himself. The D-bag himself. So this court case, this this court ruling was too extreme for the D-bag himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean I think that's like very telling. 
it's it's and it's not just applies to this case it applies to the other cases that they recently released but the fact that like roberts who is clearly a conservative justice but the only one that actually isn't necessarily isn't one of two things isn't a originalist or textualist a textualist or who actually has ever done some legitimate justicing in his time on the court like who isn't just a purely motivated reasoner when it comes to this and then and yeah it's such a clear case that it wasn't necessary to address roe versus wade in order to resolve this case and even in order to resolve this case in favor of mississippi yeah which would still be bad yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) it wouldn't be this fucking disastrous yeah I went through, I, I, the CNN did this really interesting thing. They took the draft opinion, which we went over on this show in fairly, in fair amount of detail. And they took the final opinion and they compared, they did it like attract changes and compare the characters. Yeah. And 100,000 of the 120,000 characters in the final opinion were in the draft opinion. Wow. So he kept right? the witch hunter? Almost the yes, it was almost exactly the same. the 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 twenty five thousand characters that were added were all addressing the dissent's arguments. Yeah, he changed almost nothing in his core opinion, and continued with this incredibly strong language, which is just amazingly colored. Yeah, for a Supreme Court opinion, saying like well, Roe v. Wade was. Uh, like must be overruled was egregiously wrong from the start that the arguments were exceptionally weak and an abuse of judicial authority. Yeah. And let's also not forget number one, he cited, he cited a witch hunter and number two, he kind of undermined himself in the entire, in the, the course of the opinion because they were specifically, because remember Roe versus Wade specifically cited the, implied right of privacy mm-hmm. which is in the 14th amendment basically the implication is that the government cannot deprive you of life liberty or property without due process mm-hmm. liberty right there liberty the government yeah. can specifically state governments cannot deprive you of liberty which a reasonable interpretation of that was that that means that your privacy is protected because your privacy is a liberty yeah so the idea was this right here, this due process clause means that you have the right to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. But then, so, 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 so he said that the reason why that shouldn't apply here is because abortion is not deeply ingrained into the history of this country. But then he goes on to say that this doesn't apply to other things that also have used the same damn clause. Yeah. The same damn privacy clause, the the equal protection clause as well, that it doesn't apply to those. So yeah. such as such as gay marriage, such as contraception, such as uh, such as, you know, consensual uh, oral sex and anal sex. Mm-hmm. He said it doesn't apply to that, but it does apply to this one, even though those are not necessarily deeply rooted yeah. into the history into the history of the country. So either, either. You don't care about that, which you shouldn't, or you do care about that, in which case you're wrong. Yeah. I think I think this is so key because there's a reason why we balk so strongly 
at hypocrisy on the court. Yeah. Right. Because this seems like hypocrisy. Right. It's like, you know, he said, quote, so so he, he literally found that there was no right to privacy or personal autonomy in the Constitution, which, again, is an implied right derived from other constitutional amendments. Right. Um, and, and privacy in this case also doesn't mean like your right not to be like looked at or whatever. It means yeah. your right to because make... we don't have that right. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, but what it means is your right to make purely personal decisions about your life. Right. That affect you. Um, so so not only did he find that that did not exist, as Nathan said, he then went on to say, as Nathan said, Quote, to ensure that our decision is not misunderstood or mischaracterized, we emphasize that our decision concerns the constitutional right to abortion and no other right. Nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. Uh, that is like saying, there is no right to keep and bear arms, but that, didn't sh doesn't, th that shouldn't be used as an argument to say there's no right to keep and bear pistols. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And the thing is, that would be fine for a legislature. Yeah. That's what, like, to me, that's like what one of the things that makes this so clearly legislating from the bench, so clearly judicial activism. Because a legislature can say, without like blinking an eye, no, all guns are banned except pistols. That's a normal thing for a legislature to do. But when you're a judge, when you're justice, you have to deal with legal principles, right? And that's very different. If you delineate that two things are similar and that the law is similar, then the law has to treat them similarly. You can't just say, eh, carve out for this other thing. It's so clearly a case of judicial activism, specifically because he's picking and choosing similarly situated uh rights with similar legal underpinnings and saying i'm going to pick some of these and not some of these yeah it was interesting to hear how clarence thomas is really interested in reviewing the precedents set up by specific cases like um i'm gonna mispronounce this obergefell obergefell um and other precedent setting cases not loving versus virginia though yeah Interesting that he wouldn't care about that. Yeah. Well, so it was it was a Bergefeld, it was um Lawrence v. Texas. Lawrence v. Texas and And Griswold v. Um, Connecticut. And Griswold v. Connecticut, which Griswold v. Connecticut was uh basically said that you could have contraceptives. Mm -hmm. Um the Lawrence decision said that you could have sex in your bedroom however you want to. Yeah. And uh, and then Obergefell was, of course, the one that legalized marriage equality nationwide. But he he left out Loving versus the state of Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. And the, that's what made his marriage legal. And the thing is, like, the, there's a reason why these are connected. He specifically said, quote, in future cases, we should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence and Obergefell. Substantive due process is the most important legal constitutional legal development since the 14th Amendment. Yeah. Substantive due process is the thing that says, you know, that not only do we have to, um, like, create laws that have due process, 
we have to actually follow through on due process. We have to like take what what is implied by due process and enshrine it in our constitutional protections. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, a substantive due process is the underpinning of all the decisions that he stated, and as Jess said, also the underpinning of Loving v. Virginia. Honestly, it underpins every single significant constitutional case over like the past hundred years. Brown v. Board is based on substantive due process. Like, yeah. like he trying to dismantle that. He a lot of shit with someone <laughs> yeah. who could lose a lot from the logical conclusion yeah. to his own arguments. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why originalism and textualism is such fucking bullshit. Because... Yeah. Well, I mean, I think even a textualist understanding of this could still very easily lead you to the conclusion that, yes, those rights are, like, those rights are protected. Because textualists care about what's written. Yeah, well, the, the due process life, liberty piece. and pro- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the due process piece, but but substantive due process is an a implied extension of due process, and it's it it is the thing that, only because it was written purposely vague so that people could do that in the first place. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> but but yeah, but so you're right. Maybe textualists could get there. Maybe maybe uh, Gorsuch could get there because Gorsuch did. He yeah. he has he did that in um it, it there was there was a court case. That was specifically focusing on, like, I think it was employment protections for yeah, for, for yeah, LGBT yeah. people. Yeah. And he, found- he said, well, yeah, he said that there is a textualist look at the Equal Protection Clause that guarantees that regardless of what the historical intention of that was, on paper, it says that that gay people are protected. Yeah, he basically so, found that you yeah. can't discriminate based on sexual orientation without discriminate basing on, basing on sex. Which might actually be the one thing that protects Obergefell. Yeah. The fact that we have a good old-fashioned progressive like Neil Gorsuch on the, <laughs> on the court. Well, that's one of the things that makes it so amazing and so ridiculous that Thomas yeah. is trying to serve up these carved-out specific cases that he wants to make sure are overturned. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing I wanted to point out about the Alito majority opinion um, is... So he, he writes about the dissent. He says, quote, Our opinion is not based on any view about if and when prenatal life is entitled to any of the rights enjoyed after birth. The dissent, by contrast, would impose on the people a particular theory about when the rights of personhood begin. According to the dissent, the Constitution requires the states to regard a fetus as lacking even the most basic human right to live, at least until an arbitrary point in the pregnancy has passed. Right. The problem with that, the problem with his statement that they are not basing their opinion on a specific view of when prenatal life begins, is that he talks about prenatal life and potential life and like couches that as personhood throughout the entire fucking opinion, including referring to abortion as grotesque and brutal. Yeah. Which it is not. <laughs> for and and you can't even make the argument that it's grotesque and brutal until like like much later in the pregnancy like he is implying he's in treating a fetus as a person throughout his opinion he is totally dispensing with the view that they're not actually deciding when a person is he's just saying it's not an arbitrary line somewhere down the line it's at the very fucking beginning yeah and again here's another textualist thing the 14th amendment says that Anyone that is born in the United States 
is a U.S. US <laughs> citizen, born in the United States, not conceived, yeah. not carried. You're, what you're born. saying is, what you're saying is, fetuses, for fear for their lives, must apply for asylum. In order <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what he's saying is that Bruce Springsteen would say, "You have to be." Born in the USA. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> or that other band, you have to be able to run first, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, you know what I want to start seeing? I want to start seeing uh, 20 year olds, tw- people that are 20 and three months old try to buy alcohol. All right. I want to start seeing that. I want to see people that are, that are 17 and three months start to vote. Because if life begins at conception, then they're 18 years old or they're 21 years old. Not necessarily. I want to start seeing that shit. They could be preemies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> so I want them to I want them to track exactly when they were conceived. So ask your parents when they had sex. Um, track exactly when you were conceived, and on that day, go ahead and start like celebrate that day from now on. Yeah. And that will be your age from now on. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Fetal personhood comes with a whole host of problems. And I think we'll get, we'll get into yeah, this, I think, support. probably more, like pretty deeply in our like second segment. But like, yeah, child support, insurance. In Poland, which has a fetal personhood law, prospective mothers have been denied, prospective mothers with cancer have been denied chemotherapy because of what it might do to the fetus. Mm-hmm. And they have died because of it. Because once a fetus is a person, the the mother or person carrying it is a vessel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the implications of that is if you are, say, in a car accident and that causes someone to miscarry, does that mean you're now up for charges of murder? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we already, there are already some cases where people are actually prosecuted in various states for the death of their fetus. I think what's like crazy about that, like what you were talking about the in Poland, who decided that women's like mothers' lives were not as important as the fetuses? Like who You're makes right, that decision? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're already like living on Earth, like have a personality, have a life that we've built, and. This is a thing that hasn't even been born yet. Like, mm-hmm. why do we have yeah. to die? <laughs> so that this yeah. this fetus is gonna die anyway if we die. Yeah, yeah. That's just crazy. But anyway. Yeah. No, and it's you're like, right. Like you're killing two people at that point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Of course. Like if you think that you know that the fetus is a is a person, you're killing two people at that point. We don't have good Samaritan laws in the U.S. Which is essentially what, in, in a way, what this is. Like, if you have the ability, it would be it would be analogous to being like, okay, this person is going to die without an organ transplant. You yes. have compatible yes. organs. We will take them now. I yeah. do really love that extended metaphor of telling someone, okay, you're my organ donor match. I need your kidney. I'm going to need you to not drink for months leading up to the surgery. You might die during the surgery. Hopefully your surgeon's good. Doesn't botch it. Hopefully you don't die from an infection. Hopefully you don't have lifelong health conditions, but you will probably be impacted for the rest of your life. Mm. But I'm going to die if you don't give it to me. So you're a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And even even to go further than that, you're not required to 
to give organs after you've died. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we made this, we made this point in that one episode, but I, I, you know, let's stick it again. Corpses have more rights <laughs> to bodily autonomy than pregnant people. Uh. All right. You don't have to give blood. You are yeah. not required to give blood, which is arguably, I mean, objectively objectively easier <laughs> not even arguably just objectively it is easier than carrying a a Jeez. an entity yeah. inside of you for 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 9 months yeah like it's it's completely ridiculous and it completely flies in the face of what the american people actually want several mm -hmm. polls showed that at the low end 60% of Americans disagree with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. 60%. Also, let's not forget that three of the justices that created this, that, 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 that signed on to this opinion, three of the justices were appointed by a president who lost the popular vote. They were appointed, or they, they were confirmed by a Senate representing a minority of the country and the thing that they overturned was supported by 60% of the country. And yet, Alito sat there and said, this is going to make things less divisive. Ooh, I like, the, the, overturning Roe versus yeah. Wade is going to make us less divided on this issue. And I would you... like to jump in on that. I'm sorry. Um, I don't believe that it is the purview of the Supreme Court to decide what is too divisive of an issue. Yeah. Fuck the fuck off. Yeah. Or in Minecraft, someone might burn you. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a good point. Like, why? They're, they're explicitly trying to make a political calculus in their opinion. That blows yeah. my mind. Like, that's like not what they're supposed to be doing. It's also a deeply problematic approach because there were many, many people during the civil rights movement saying, look, I would theoretically be behind civil rights, but it's just too contentious of a topic and it causes way too much violence and tense um, reactions from people. So yeah. we really shouldn't have integration or equal rights mm -hmm. because we're so divided. Yeah. It, yeah. You can't rule based on that it's an inherently conservative <laughs> position yeah. Yeah. like conservative like in the true sense of the word being that things that are different things that have changed are a problem and yeah. that means that their thumb is on the scale in favor of conservatism uh, one yeah. more thing in your favor and two is to nathan you said three justices uh, were appointed by presidents that lost the popular vote but if you disagree with bush v gore yeah. it's five yeah. <laughs> well and also what about the stolen justice yeah the two i would argue two well, stolen yeah. justices but yeah yeah like but, yeah. and also the the one that was that was appointed by hw like his wife is a fucking insurrectionist and he was the lone person on the supreme court that tried to block information about the about uh, what happened behind the scenes in January 6th from coming to coming to light. Yeah. He should be impeached, which is the thing impeached. you can do to Supreme Court justices. Yeah. He's they not going to be removed while, because, you know, yeah, Republicans, 
Yeah, he's not going to be removed because you know Republicans in the Senate have no fucking backbone or or, or, or principles. Sure, but sure. that because that's what he that what that's what they should do. And Susan Collins will say that she believes he really did learn his lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, the last thing to talk about is what is going to happen from here? And the answer is Only probably nothing. Shit. Yeah. Because, well, well, so so first, well, I mean, in terms of the Democratic response. Oh, yeah. So Federal in terms of the Republican response, a half a dozen states have already straight up banned it. Uh, like another five states have heavily restricted it. And several others are either are, 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 are currently pending. Um, as it stands, it's it's expected that at least 26 states will either completely ban it or mostly ban it or heavily restrict it. And as it stands, I would just like to point out the ones that have straight up banned it already do not have exceptions for rape and incest or fetal anomalies, which mm. means that if a fetus does not have a fucking brain... You can't abort it. You have to carry it to term. If the fetus will not survive, if there is no way the fetus is going to survive, you have to carry it. Now they have exceptions for for if there is a uh, a for if it's there's a life threatening condition mm -hmm. for the mother. But we'll talk a little bit. Uh, Jess will talk about that a little bit later as to why that is that is not sufficient. Yeah, it's cold comfort. But it's cold comfort. But as it stands. In those states, a person can get pregnant. The, the fetus can develop abnormally and not have a brain, and they will be forced to go through the trauma of childbirth to give birth to a dead fetus. Stillborn births are also, as a side note, very difficult physically mm. because the fetus doesn't move. It's mm. not like... A living um, being. Yeah, if yeah. you ever care, try to carry a person that's passed out versus a person who's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. your body's working against you, and also mm. you kind of need oxytocin for birth. Mm. And oxytocin is something we feel when we feel safe and loved, oh, not something you feel when you're delivering a stillborn. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So then the question is, what are Democrats going to do about it? And the answer is probably nothing mm -hmm. because of Joe fucking Manchin and Kirsten fucking Cinema, yeah. who. They would, if there was a, if there was a meteor coming towards earth and Congress had to immediately pass something that would like to, to fund a laser gun that would blow it up and Republicans tried to block it. And the only way to build it would be to end the filibuster. They would still fucking defend the filibuster. <laughs> didn't, didn't they make this movie? <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty yeah. sure i didn't i didn't watch it but I, you should you like, would like this you would like that movie dude you should watch it yeah i just want to say a fucking thing about joe manson we know we, we fucking shit it. on joe manson in this show because he's a fucking shit bag but <laughs> it's yeah it's like shitception it's like shitting on a bag of shit but um so we know he's flip floppy about abortion already yeah he he said quote let me be clear I support legislation that would codify the rights of Roe v. Wade previously protected. I am hopeful Democrats and Republicans will come together to put forward a piece of legislation that would do just that. Hmm. I wonder what That's the average is. That's not going to happen. I wonder what the average is between doing something and doing nothing. Here <laughs> is something I'd just like to say. Having gone to high school in West Virginia, 
I was in the region, the county, that had the highest rate of teenage unwanted pregnancy. Joe Manchin talks a lot of shit mm. for somebody who's supposed to represent these people. Yeah. 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 And, and so the other thing is, so as Nathan said, this require essentially a carve out for specifically making, you know, this uh, abortion law not be covered by the filibuster right so they did that with yeah. with uh, the debt ceiling it's something they can do but it requires at least 50 democratic votes um and we're not going to get that with joe manchin because he said he said unironically without joking he said quote the filibuster is the only protection of democracy <laughs> I Fucking want gold. him to fall <laughs> off a cliff. God, he he is so full of shit. And the re- and, and yeah, and he also let's also remember he voted for Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Yeah, and he even said I trusted them. Whoa, <laughs> like he said that he 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 went on this this rant about how how disappointed he was because he trusted them. Literally, everybody told him. Don't trust them. They're going to overturn Roe. And under oath, they claimed that they weren't going to overturn Roe. And everybody said, that's bullshit. Don't listen to them. And he says, well, I created this. I helped create this problem because I voted for them. But I'm not going to do anything to, 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 to solve this problem because I'm married to the filibuster. Mm-hmm. Anybody, any, any Democrat that says, I am, I am completely for codifying Roe versus Wade into law, anybody that says that, but then does not in the next breath say, therefore, we need to either do a carve out for the filibuster, return to a talking filibuster, or just straight up get rid of the filibuster. They are full of shit. They are not pro. They're not pro-choice. They are with they, they are on the side of Republicans, because as long as they have that position, abortion will continue to be restricted state by state by state by state. And that blood that will result from all of the all of the pregnant people that will die is going to be on their hands. So now it's time for one of our more lighthearted segments, Tips for Good. So, Michael, why do we do Tips for Good every week? Well, Nathan, I've reflected on this question a lot, pretty much every week for a year or two more. Yeah. And uh, it's it's because... It's because you can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. No time to talk. So that's why we do tips for good. Bree, I need individual confirmation. Blink twice if you need help. I looked at this man. I mean, people. I mean it's, I, think it's, I think it's appropriate to, to stay alive. You know? so and you know what? You know what? You know what else? Certainly, you know the fetuses else? would agree. Oh my god! <laughs> oh god! Oh, oh, oh. That's it. You're canceled, Michael. Um. Oh wait, wait, wait! I just remembered. Oh. We also do it because it makes it makes the world a better place. That's true. Just like staying alive for a fetus. Just like staying alive. Just oh like Clarence god. Thomas. <laughs> just that same joke. Just like staying alive, it makes the world a better place. So, Nathan, what should our listeners do to make the world a better place? protest bam so a lot of people are probably feeling right now a little bit pissed just a tad bit a little and 
I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said something like, hey, Nathan, I, I've checked out of politics for a while. You know, it's not something I pay a lot of attention to, but, but this has got me invigorated. What can I do? And we, we've talked in the past about contacting representatives, and I absolutely recommend you do that. But another thing that I think is important, especially in a time like this, is to attend protests. All right? If you so, can. If you can, if you are able. So uh, Planned Parenthood has a campaign called Bands Off Our Bodies, and you can go to their website. It will be a, we'll have a, a link in the description of this episode where you can actually click on an event map and it will show you events that could be near you. Now, there are other protests besides what what are on this page because like there there are lots of pro-choice organizations. Um, but this is this is one resource that you can go to. Uh, if you if you can't find any near you on this, I'm sure that there will be you know other other places you can go. Um, I've I learned about one event near me just by following the uh, the local Democrat who's running for the House of Representatives in in my district. So, um, so go get out there, march if you can, and the more people that show up, the more the government is gonna feel well. Fuck, we have to do something. So, get out there, get your voices heard, and march. And that's tips for good. There are many folks who are both pro-abortion and anti-choice who don't seem to know much about what happens to the human body during pregnancy and after birth. And this may not surprise you if you're a uterus owner. Many of us have gone for medical help, for issues related to our bodies, and been met with the equivalent of a personified shrug emoji in a lab coat. Because in the United States, we don't like talking about how messy and complicated periods and pregnancy and birth and postpartum life is. Buckle up. I'm going to learn you a thing or two. So is this I the moment Is this the moment <laughs> when I should just go then? I don't need to listen to this, right? <laughs> Michael, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I listen to this all the time. This You're going to fucking listen to it. This is relevant for me, right? It's my favorite thing in the world to tell strangers about my flow. <laughs> I I am not a stranger, but I have I've experienced this. Yes. How are you doing tonight? Cramping like crazy. Oh, you should feel my uterus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. God, I love this woman. This is the only warning you folks are gonna get. I will be angry. I will be graphic. I will be merciless. Now, more than ever, we cannot afford to cry ignorance in the face of the reality people with uteruses will face. We don't get to be squeamish anymore. We already have this society that ignores and minimizes the work, the labor, of those things that were considered traditionally to be quote-unquote women's work. And I'm so fucking tired of it. So, you who are pro-choice need to know how we can support folks. Those of you who are so goddamn determined to force pregnancy on people will need to deal with your discomfort. That is this segment. We'll sit in this discomfort like we just pushed a newborn through our cervix and we are bleeding, tired, and torn. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. I know. Bree, jump I'm in. I'm here for yeah. it. <laughs> Period stories, anything. Yeah. Anybody you know who's had pregnancy or birth, jump so, in. So before this segment, Jess asked me, like how much she needed to tone it down. Mm -hmm. And I'm just in one of those moods where I was like, 
release mm. the Kraken. Not at all. <laughs> Kraken. Is that the name of your, your child? Upcoming child is Kraken. And when, <laughs> and, w- and when he or she is born, just be like, release the Kraken. <laughs> That's actually the name of the beast that lives inside me. Uh-huh. <laughs> just kidding. It's on the outside. <laughs> yeah. All right. So... There's a lot to get into with this, but I thought since Roe v. Wade has already been overturned, the best thing to do is to try to promote education about what goes into pregnancy and birth and postpartum periods. These are the things that don't get talked about. They're kind of invisible. People have even sort of lost the idea that pregnancy is life-threatening. Mm-hmm. I, Some people at least have. Yeah. In a typical pregnancy, um, you might experience anything from uh, joint pain, pelvic pain, chronic fatigue, anemia, heartburn, um, uh, gastrointestinal issues, constipation, joint pain did i mention back pain that should be mentioned again Mm -hmm. um swelling lots of things Mm. lots of things you might have heard pregnant people complain about and you might have thought well that's just kind of a funny cute thing that happens with pregnancy but i will ask you to remember that this is nine months of someone's life that they're experiencing these things you go through anything for almost a year and it will wear you down yeah Yeah. i think it's interesting how so, so far, all of the, all six of the states that have already completely just all out banned abortion, they do have carve outs for the health of the health of the mother. So like, so, so presumably what you're saying is that if the life of the mother is in jeopardy, she should be allowed to have an abortion. Oh, but pregnancy is a life threatening condition, which means that the life of the, of the carrier is always going to be potentially in jeopardy Hmm. so i'm just saying a textualist interpretation (laughs) of that law might say okay so it should always be allowed yeah i mean especially in the u.s of all the countries we rank last among developed nations oh we're gonna get into it yeah for maternal mortality so of all places this should be yeah this would be where it's the most available and it's like what Bree was saying, that this is a whole person. This is a human existing before this fetus. And yeah. some people would have us prioritize the potential of this fetus as opposed to the real live human who exists mm-hmm. and moves through the world. Yeah, like how are you yeah. going to look at someone in a hospital bed and say, sorry, you're going to die and we can't do anything about it because we need to not do anything to hurt your fetus like really and that is you're gonna tell yeah, that person sorry that... you're gonna die because we value your baby's life over yours which is going to end anyway because of what's about mm-hmm. to happen yeah. yes exactly what you're describing is sort of already existing in some form yeah um and how that plays out is basically that there are a slew of different health conditions that you could have while being pregnant and because you're pregnant you're at higher risk of being harmed from them maybe even dying from them 
it's not necessarily 100% you will die from this, like ectopic pregnancy, but it might be something more like you have a very serious infection in your optic nerve, which is what happened to one woman. And she was eight weeks pregnant, kept begging her doctors to find out what was going on with her. And all of the diagnostic tests were something they were unwilling to do because of potential harm to a fetus. Mm -hmm. No one even talked to her about abortion. She had to seek out a private clinic. So there are things happening like that, you know, where a person can't get adequate medical care because they're pregnant and there could be potential harm to a fetus. Um, yeah. Another thing that can happen is that you can't rule out any possibility of harm from conception to birth mm. to postpartum. So I'm sure people have heard about folks dying in childbirth. Michael kind of brought it up, but you can hemorrhage during your childbirth. You can um, have like postpartum infection. You could have, you know, say like a piece of the placenta didn't leave. Um, and so you're at risk of dying from that infection. Yeah. Anything can happen. You can't just say, let's wait until you're really late term, whatever that means, and decide if you're at risk. As mm. long as you are pregnant, you are at risk. Yeah. Even even before the overturning of Roe versus Wade, this has been an issue in several states with restrictive abortion laws. So, for example, um, in in North Carolina, so so five thirty eight did this really comprehensive ar article that talked about even even prior to Roe versus Wade how some of the restrictions have had an impact. Um, so in North Carolina, um, there was this uh, there was this doctor that was talking about how. There is a 72-hour waiting period in which the doctor has to read mandatory scripts that are supposed to dissuade the person from having an abortion, all right, even if the patient's sick. And mm -hmm. he said that it's common to that, that he would have to debate with himself as to whether or not a patient who might not be about to die now might potentially be in that emergency situation at the end of those 72 hours. Yeah. And they cannot get that abortion until the end of those 72 hours. And again, that is mandated even if they're sick. Yeah. I think that is such an important point. Like, and, and one that will only get worse yes. in the face of overturning Roe v. Wade and these more restrictive uh, abortion laws and more highly punitive abortion laws is a huge part. The fact that people are, can get serious jail time, can be charged with felonies, lose their medical licenses, all make the calculus for doctors much more clear and much more anti-patient. Yeah. Because the thing is, even in states that have carve-outs for the life and health of the mother... The ex those exceptions to restrictive and punitive abortion laws are so vague and often so narrow that that experts are worried that providers will be unlikely to invoke them for fear that they could be charged with a crime. I heard about one story, and I can't really speak to its truthfulness, so if it's not true, I, if it's not true of this particular person, I'm sure it's true of fucking somebody, that a woman mm -hmm. came into an emergency room in a state with a restrictive abortion law, with a trigger law, and she came in the day... Uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned with 
and had to have an abortion to save her life, right? And the doctor had to spend hours working with lawyers mm. to determine yeah. if he had legal liability for this case. And the woman almost died as a result of the delay. Yeah. So Shania Goodman, Director of Reproductive Health and Rights uh, at the National Partnership for Women and Families, said, quote, Doctors have said that it puts them in an untenable position where they have to base decisions on their legal liability, which shouldn't be a consideration at all. At what point is the life of the mother at risk when she's coding on the table? And that's the thing. Often that is the answer. The life's only at risk. To Nadine's point, and Jess's point as well, throughout pregnancy, you're experiencing a gradient of risks. If things are going great, low blood pressure, all like things are going great, you are at lower risk, but not no risk. If things are, if you're on a table, you're at very high risk, but, <laughs> and like, and getting and waiting to get to that point where you are in an emergency situation. Like the year is 2022, not 3050 we haven't solved we have we don't have perfect medical care we can't solve every medical problem like if you wait until it's it's an emergency you're probably waiting too long yeah that's also not taking into account other health conditions or disability status a person might have right um that wouldn't necessarily maybe meet the criteria for life-threatening but they might be someone who has like chronic pain conditions where they rely on pain medication to mm. get through um, the day and suddenly they can't take those. Um, I've also heard people talk about people who rely on things like, um, you know, medication for depression or bipolar or um, other various medications that some of those people use to stay alive. It's a matter of keeping them alive and they have to suspend that while they're pregnant. Mm. And finally, just the fact that we're living in a pandemic. We already know that it's more dangerous for pregnant people. Who were the people that they said, oh, these are the most vulnerable people, older people, people with underlying health conditions, pregnant people. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget According to Time Magazine, 25% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. And that number is only going to go up because the more pregnancies you have, the more miscarriages end up happening. And also, people might seek, mis- or might seek abortions because maybe they know that they're predisposed to potentially have a miscarriage or mm-hmm. they have a medical condition that might not be immediately life-threatening, but could potentially harm them further down the line. So that number is only going to go up. Another thing to consider is the fact that when it comes to when it comes to miscarriages, some laws already have criminalized practices that can potentially hold the the carrier accountable if they have a miscarriage. And that is completely unequally distributed. Seventy-five percent of prosecutions for content for conduct during pregnancy are against women of color. Seventy-five percent. And going into Nathan's point, that in some states, um, 
people could be penalized for having a miscarriage. What that means is that they won't seek medical care. So that leads nicely into a happy little story about my family. Um, my great-grandmother died because she didn't have a late-term abortion. Um, her husband was abusive. He caused enough physical trauma to her abdomen to kill the fetus she was carrying when she was very heavily pregnant at about eight months or so. She did not have an abortion, and she died of gangrene. She died because this fetus literally poisoned her blood. Jesus. And abortion was illegal in every state, at every stage um, in the United States at that time. I'll never know if my grandmother, my great-grandmother didn't seek medical care because she didn't know, or if she was afraid that the doctor would just tell her there was nothing they could do. Um, or if she was worried someone would think she tried to perform an abortion at home, I will never know, but she died and all of her children were scattered to live with relatives who didn't mm. want them. That kind of intergenerational trauma is not unique to my family. Every single person knows or cares about someone who's been impacted either by the need to get an abortion and they couldn't or being able to get an abortion and it was important in their life. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. And I would just like to sort of end out by saying that as Michael pointed out, the U S sucks with <laughs> maternal care after birth. Again, you're so important when you're carrying this miracle fetus, but not after apparently, um, to Bree's point, uh, there's just all of this emphasis on this fetus and not the human who has to live in the same body after. Um, so even though the maternal mortality rate is the worst in developed nations, um, even if you survive after birth, you might have health conditions like chronic pelvic pain, um, for which the treatments are physical therapy, bed rest, and yeah. um, other things that you can't really do if you only have six weeks before you have to go back to work. Mm. Um, you might have your uterus, rectum, or bladder prolapse just pop right out of your body um, because your pelvic floor is too weak to support them. Yeah. yeah. And you also might die from postpartum depression. Um, the maternal mortality rates don't necessarily reflect deaths by suicide or drug overdose. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think, yeah, I just, this whole segment, like the, what, part of what gets me so deeply is like the miscarriage piece. Cause multiple miscarriage, like, like natal, like, uh, maternal care centers have started to pull back on their treatment for early miscarriages because yeah. the same drugs are used for early abortions mm -hmm. and they look identical. Right. Yeah. And that's terrifying. Right. That, like to your, your grandmother's example, like it could literally be incredibly life threatening. And what this whole segment just makes me realize is how unscientific these laws are. Yeah. They're unclinical. They're not meant to be clinical. They're not meant to, to support good 
uh, health outcomes. They're meant to just prevent, stop people from getting abortions. They're just the worst kind of policy making, right? They are, even if you agreed, I mean, we talked last time, last time we talked about abortion, we talked about how ineffective abortion bans are at actually preventing abortions. But even if you, even if you discount that, like, they're so vague, overly broad, and they have tons of collateral damage. They're yeah. the worst possible kinds of policies. And we do them because we've got this blind dedication to fucking, like, bundles of cells with a liberal position being that when those cells start to exhibit a rhythmical electric shock, electric signal, that's when you have a person. Yeah. And one point that I want to make is that, so the way that Republicans have been trying to frame this is that they've been trying to spend all of their time trying to cast the Democratic position as the extreme position, specifically the Democratic position that abortion should, be, should not be restricted at any level of pregnancy. And they, they want to try to say that's the Democratic position and that is... And that is, that is an unpopular position, at least on a legal level, all right? But the thing that the Democrats, that, that pro-abortion people, that pro-choice people need to be making clear are a few things. Number one, believing that abortion should be protected in all parts of pregnancy is not about wanting someone to have an abortion up to the point of birth, all right? It's not about wanting that. It's about the fact that the only reasons, there are two, there are two reasons why late-term abortions happen, all right? Number one, because of a unforeseen health reason, so new information about the, the health status of the carrier. And number two, barriers. Mm. Sometimes financial barriers, sometimes social barriers, sometimes just, just physical barriers, all right, because you're, you're living in a state that only has one abortion clinic in the entire damn state. All right. So. So the point of saying that it needs to be protected on all those levels, even if you do carve out an exception for the life of the of the carrier. Is that if even if with that exception, you're still going to encounter issues where either due to the vagueness of the law or just the fact that the law exists, a doctor who might know that the way that you save this person's life is through an abortion, they're going to be sitting there thinking, wasting precious moments, thinking, what about my liability? What about my ass? All right? This is just, this is something, this is, this is my job. This is something I go in every day and do. But to the patient, it's their life. All right? So nothing should be getting in that operating room that should influence their decision other than the scientific knowledge of that doctor and the desires and needs of the patient. All right? Nothing nothing should be in the way. All right? Late-term abortions happen 1% of the time, and those are the only two reasons why they, they happen. All right? So if you really want to prevent late-term abortions, then start start supporting public funding of abortions earlier in the earlier in pregnancy that's going to prevent late-term abortions this is going to cause more late-term abortions and i would just say that to michael's point how this legislation is very unscientific 
I think a way to combat that is we really do need to talk about these disturbing, graphic, uncomfortable realities that pregnancy and birth and postpartum life is. We need to talk about hemorrhoids. We need to talk. I mean, hemorrhoids don't go away. Someone might have hemorrhoids for life. They're painful. They're uncomfortable. They make sex uncomfortable. Your mom might have several weeks out of the month where she's like, ooh, I'm having a hemorrhoid outbreaking. I don't want to fuck. That's not right. Your mom deserves to get dicked down if she wants. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> I mean, I love pregnancy. I love childbirth. I love researching this stuff. I think it's so cool that people like to do this and they want to do it and they can do it. But I think that we've really let our society pretend that it's just so complicated and icky that we can't look at these real um, long-term health conditions and try to do anything for them. Maternal medical care sucks. You can read thousands of stories of people saying I told my doctor that this was happening and they just told me that it was probably something I was making up in my woman brain um, if you've known anyone who's been pregnant and given birth they probably have a story about some type of medical neglect if you know anybody with a uterus they have a story of medical neglect I was told before the recording of this podcast I was not supposed to say I fucking hate this country. <laughs> Sometimes I wake up in and the you morning, wouldn't say that. <laughs> and that's what I feel. I I seethe in rage. And Nathan and Michael would say that when you make these criticisms, you're showing that you love this country. So maybe I don't fucking hate this country, but maybe this fucking country hates me. Now it's time for our favorite segment. Ass Hat, Hat of the, the week. week. Wow, really good job, guys. We nailed it. Synchronicity. <laughs> so, Nathan, who is our Ass Hat this week? Michael, I could not be more happy to introduce this week's Ass Hat mm -hmm. as wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, Jenny Thomas. Jenny I, Tom, come on down. I can't believe you introduced her as her wifely title. She yeah, can be an asshole all on her own. Well, she <laughs> is, but she has she a is, lot of power. She is, who she's married to. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I, I know I introduced her by her wifely title, but honestly, I don't know what the fuck she does. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? She insurrects. <laughs> we could this blame like, Clarence Thomas for oh, this. There, too. there we go. There we go. I should have introduced her as insurrectionist Jenny Thomas. Jenny Tom, come on yeah. down. Therefore, there we go. There, 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 there you go. Feminism. So, so what did Ginny Thomas do to get on her show? So some treason. A lot of things. Aside so first from off, yeah. aside from treason. Well, so treason is part of it. So as you might know, uh, apparently Ginny Thomas was one of the insurrectionists that was trying to basically uh, get. She, she was one of the the voices in Donald Trump's ear that was trying to get him to overturn the election and kept offering a bunch of suggestions for how to do so. So she is supposed to testify on the January 6th panel in the House of Representatives. But she had the fucking nerve to be like, um, so I, 
I can't do that right now because uh, my life's really stressed because I'm married to a guy that just took away constitutional rights from half the country. And I'm just feeling so stressed because of that. It's ruining my complexion. Is that your greater tuna voice? Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you got it. I don't know if that's how she sounds like. Sure. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know her voice, so I just kind of. I kind of gave her my Lindsey Graham voice. Yeah, that was actually very similar to Lindsey Graham. <laughs> that was that was my Lindsey Graham. Yeah. <gasps> They're the same person. <laughs> Have you ever I seen them in the same room Clara. together? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen Lindsey Graham and Clarence's wife yeah. in the same room together? I Clarence Thomas has to be like, okay, I guess I better write Oberger or uh, Lawrence v. Texas <laughs> and Obergefell <laughs> off the list then. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, honey. <laughs> seem awful quiet yeah i can't but, believe but, the gall of an insurrectionist yeah. saying sorry guys my husband overturned roe v wade and is trying to get rid of the right to privacy gay uh you know gay rights uh and marriage equality and it's just it's just really stressing me out so i can't actually come look to her life is super testify. hard yeah mm. Yeah, like, people people have been protesting and they've been saying mean things to him. Yeah. Okay, so far I, I look, as so far not one protester has has trespassed in his house mm-hmm. or 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 on his property mm-hmm. based on what I've heard. All the protesting has been outside of his house, which by the way, he's a public figure. People will protest outside your house. Yeah. That like you give up a certain amount of privacy when you become a public figure and you better expect some fucking pushback. I'm sorry, but privacy is not guaranteed by the constitution, <laughs> Clarence Thomas. So, so look, 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 the moment someone, only Supreme court justices have a right of privacy. <laughs> look, 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 I will say the moment somebody like steps on his lawn or trespasses on his property or tries to break his property, I'll be one of the first people to say like, fullest extent of the law like prosecute them i will right? not i'm totally uh, like I, I i will be the first person to say that because you, you can't you still got to obey the laws but the first amendment guarantees a freedom of speech it guarantees the right to petition your government for grievances this is a pretty big fucking grievance but but the right to stress out a Supreme Court justice's insurrectionist <laughs> wife? Come on, that that's a bridge too far. God, just the the audacity to be like, I can't testify about my you know my treason because my husband's too busy taking away everybody's right. Like, just... do we call that weaponized white women shit? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, I don't know if it's like... white women shit because it's the ability to say to Congress. No, no thanks. but like the weaponized white woman. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm in yeah. so much pain. Everybody stop mm-hmm. and do something for nah. me. Why are you so obsessed yeah. with me? So congratulations to Ginny Thomas for being our Ass Ass Hat, Hat of the, the week. week. Good job. I will introduce myself again. I'm Brie, like the cheese. I'm Michael's wife. Uh, this is the second time I've been on the Perspectrum, um, but the first time I've had the honor of talking to Nathan Jess on here, so this is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say I never thought I would be discussing religion on a podcast with my husband, who's an atheist, so <laughs> that'll be fun. <laughs> um, so I am a Christian, 
and I'm pro-choice. And I think that's something that you just don't come across very often um, because abortion is just such a hot topic um, with religious people. And I was pro-life for such a long time. And Nathan, you were also pro-life as well at some point, correct? Yes, I was. I was. And it was and it wasn't religious for me, though. Uh-huh. Like, I, I've always thought it was kind of interesting that people combine those two. Like, I, I definitely want to hear more about kind of where that comes from um, for you. But for me, it was just like I, when I was when I was like in middle school, when I had first learned about the issue of abortion, I mean, I was still I mean, you know, Michael can tell you I was political in middle school just like I am now, but I was, I was fiercely, fiercely pro-life. Um, but for me, it was just because in my mind, that's a person. So like, you know, in, in, so from my point of view at the time, an atheist or a secular person could be like, well, obviously I think murder's wrong. So obviously abortion's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just sort of, it was sort of the murder angle rather than like the religious angle. But I, I, I do want to hear, so what was, what's the religious angle in terms of that, in terms of the, the anti-abortion argument? I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously I can't speak for every Christian out there. Everyone, well, yeah, yeah. you know, but for thinks you. about it differently. But like for me, it was also the abortion equals murder thing, right? Yeah. Um, and murder is like one of the greatest sins you could commit, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think that it's really really difficult to try to convince someone who's religious that abortion is not murder. Um, I, especially like Christian men, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it is so easy to be a pro-life Christian man. (laughs) Um, I think it was, uh, Mississippi house speaker, Philip Gunn said the other day when Roe v. Wade was struck down, He said um, that he believed 12-year-old incest victims should carry pregnancies to turn. Oh. Um, I just, if you cannot, if you believe that and you just cannot have any sort of pity or humanity in that. It isn't. I mean, you're just like, you don't give a shit. It's an inhumane yeah. position to take. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, those people are it's just like, why even bother trying to convince you that this is wrong? Because if you can't even, yeah. you know, take pity on a 12-year-old girl. Anyway. Yeah. So, like, so where do you think you started seeing maybe, like, holes in the um, pro-life argument? Yeah. So, I, I don't really... I think... I, I don't know if I have approached this or like had a different experience than other people who have become pro-choice after being pro-life. But, um, well, first of all, I do want to say before, in case anyone is, um, confused, I am pro-choice and I believe that women and trans persons should be able to control their own bodies and men have no business making any laws about what we can and cannot do with our own bodies. Um, especially when that is based on their own personal religious belief. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but I was raised in a Christian household and I was taught growing up that 
abortion was murder. You were murdering innocent babies. Human life begins at conception. Um, and kind of like a, an interesting side point to that is we all, both pro-life and pro-choice people, treat babies like they are people when we find out that someone we know is pregnant. And that's really mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, we talk about yeah. them, that they're already a person. We, you know, talk about, like, like they have a personality already. Um, I just think that's really interesting. That I think that's one of the things that makes it so yeah. compelling. You don't even have yeah. to make the argument that there's a reason why Nathan, as a middle schooler, defaulted to the position of being pro-life. Be yeah. Well, for two reasons. One, because it's clearly a position worthy of a middle schooler. But two, <laughs> because it's so intuitively appealing. Of course, the thing yeah. growing your babies are so cute. They come out and they're adorable. And, they're little people. <laughs> and, 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 I, I, and we feel the move and like all that stuff. They yeah. seem very people-like. And I I broke from my pam from my family on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I was the lone pro lifer in my house. Like this was nothing to do with something that my parents said. Like for me, that was just the default position. Yeah, because if something is a baby, you don't kill it. That's a pretty yeah. basic well, tenant. And yeah. people don't necessarily talk about abortion success stories. Mm. It's so mm. highly stigmatized. Yeah. The only stories I grew up with abortion, and I would say that my family was sort of neutralish. My grandma claimed to be pro-life, um, and I guess she would say that she was. My mom sort of said the government shouldn't be able to tell you what to do. Um, but the only abortion story I had in my family was my grandma's 14-year-old sister getting pregnant by a carny and how they found her an illegal abortionist to take care of that. Wow. And so it is interesting to me to hear, um, like, I just, I feel like we don't ever hear stories about that. It's always a family secret or something that people are ashamed of or just afraid to bring up because of judgments. The classic so, carny exception to abortion restrictions. <laughs> so, so uh, Bri, I, I don't want to think about it. It sounds like there could have been some bad uh, interactions when there's a 14-year-old involved. Yeah. So, so Bri, one thing I wanted to ask you about, so... Because getting, getting back to sort of the religious angle, were there specific like passages that your parents cited or that like that like your your pastor cited or 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 reverend or wh whatever you would you would call them you, um, you know nathan if you could point me to a verse in the bible that addresses abortion that would be great because i've never heard of one <laughs> you know um there yeah. the bible doesn't address abortion um yeah you know and I mean, we could get into a whole thing about, like, Bible and other social issues and stuff. But, um, anyway, I so I was one of those Christian kids that grew up volunteering for multiple years at local fundraisers for pregnancy resource centers, cr Christian pregnancy resource centers. Mm -hmm. um, uh. And I remember working these fundraisers, and I hate to admit this because it's so shameful, um, but it's important to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, they would invite pregnant women who had sought their services to these fundraisers, right? Yeah. And I'd work these fundraisers. I volunteered in different positions. And I remember looking at them and judging them 
for being pregnant and judging them for needing to to be convinced by the center that they shouldn't have had, they shouldn't have an abortion. And, uh, you know, I just didn't have any pity in my heart for these women. They chose to have sex. They chose to have sex outside of marriage and being pregnant was their consequence. And you have to live with the consequences of your mistakes. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask you if you think that like, a lot of the foundation that you've encountered at least of anti-choice rhetoric is about punishing people and let's be clear we know the people who get punished but punishing people for having sex do you feel like that's yeah. pretty accurate um i i don't i don't think so um i think for some people it is for me like uh i was a really like ignorant high schooler (laughs) you know like i didn't know anything about pregnancy Mm -hmm. i didn't know shit about you know uh uh childbirth yeah i didn't know anything about that or the effects on women i'm just like i'm gonna get married i'm gonna have a bunch of kids live a happy life like i did not worry about abortion because it was in my mind it was never going to affect me I would never yeah. have to make that difficult choice because I would never make those mistakes and end up in that yeah. position of having to make that decision, you know? And it's kind of funny because what eventually pulled me around to a pro-choice stance. Well, it's funny how your perspective can change when issues do begin to affect you. Yeah. <laughs> so it would have been devastating to be pregnant before I wanted to be. I don't want children right now at this point in my life. And I didn't want children when Michael and I got married five years ago. I've seen multiple women from my life get pregnant in high school and college and have their plans completely derailed. You know, your life has changed forever when you have a child. Whether or not you give up that child for adoption. And your body is forever changed, you know? Exactly. You might have trauma from childbirth. You don't just walk away with no change to your life or who you are as a person. Mm. Um, <laughs> but anyway, my mind changed not because, and this, again, like, <laughs> feels so shameful, but it's the honest truth. My mind changed not because I cared about other women, but because I cared about myself and my circumstances, my future in the course of my plans. And I think that's what's, (laughs) it's like really infuriating when you hear, particularly like conservative white men talk about this, because you know that they're going to find a way to get an abortion for a woman in their life if they need to. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, I think it's really important that you point that out. And I hope you're not too hard on yourself because I think all empathy comes from the ability to see ourselves in a situation. Yeah. Um, and that's the only way we can think, well, if that's how I would feel, maybe that's how other people would feel. Yeah. Um, so I, I think you should be appreciative that you were able to grow and have your empathy expand on that and then keep developing um but you're so right that there are plenty of people who are anti-choice but they'll find a way to excuse the need for an abortion in their family they'll say something like oh it's my 16 year old dumbass daughter who didn't make her boyfriend wear a condom yeah or something else Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and also to 
to kind of hopefully make you feel better and also kind of call myself out a little bit. Like for me, my process of getting to where I was, where I was, again, I was fiercely pro-life. Like I remember, I, I, I think about one of the first arguments I had with a group of people about it. And I cringe when I think of the shit that I said. Like I said shit that make me fucking cringe. Um, I cringe when you tell me about it. You know, like I was, I was screaming, abortion is murder, abortion, abortion. Like I was screaming at people. Um, in this argument that I was having. Little Westboro Baptist Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) And like, the thing is I, I like, I was, I was liberal on almost everything, but that was like one issue. Well, and guns. Um, that was one issue where I was just like, no, this is murder, you know? And it was a very long process to sort of get me to even start saying, okay, well, okay. Maybe in the case of, you know, life of the parent, and then it was, okay, maybe in the case of life of the parent and, you know, in a rape. Um, and then, okay, well, I think it's still bad and wrong and terrible, but maybe the government shouldn't be impacting it. And then it's like, and then from the thing that really clenched it for me, though, was there was this, and I, I've told the story on the pod before, but there's, there's, this, uh, there's this young college woman um, that was, uh, she was a first year when I was like a, either a sophomore or, or, or junior. And, and you got her pregnant. No. <laughs> no. That was no. not me. <laughs> so, so she was a friend of mine and she had been, she got, she was raped in college mm-hmm. and she had an abortion. And I remember, and she, we were at this party, like, like earlier she had, kind of blown up a little bit because people were talking about pregnancy and I was a little confused and she pulled me aside later and she explained what had happened to her and immediately the the idea like the ideas that I had of like well well abortion is a cowardly thing like just kind of broke down because here is a person that I deeply cared about that made that very personal decision based on something that happened to her and because of that she was able to complete college and she did a very good job in college and she now has a normal life and it's because of abortion. So it wasn't even that I had gotten to the point where I think it needs to be legal. I already thought it should be legal, but I got to the point where I realized not only should it be legal, not only should it be protected, but abortion can be a good thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, like you, it, it, it was, it didn't hit me until it happened to somebody that I knew and that I cared about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is a huge barrier. That is a huge problem because you shouldn't have to have a personal connection to it in order to care about other people. But sometimes that's just what happens. Yeah. I think and- I love Jess's just interject. I love Jess's structure con- or construction of like abortion success stories Yeah, mm-hmm. because abortion stigma and shame means that anti-choice people will always have the advantage. Because as long as it's something shameful, then no one can say that my life and happiness was saved by abortion. I do want to poke a little bit at people who have the belief that abortion is wrong, except in the cases of rape incest in the life of the mother can we talk for a second about how that doesn't make any sense 
I know a lot of people who take this stance. I, after I, like, you know, I took a pro- progression of thinking all oh, abortion was yeah. wrong, and then I was eventually at this stance before becoming pro-choice. And, but if you believe abortion is murdering a baby, why would you ever be okay with it in the case of rape or incest? Because you yeah. do like, actually somewhat care about the woman involved. <laughs> so it's like cognitive yeah. dissonance? Yeah. Yeah. This is a really infuriating argument to me because it's just so contradictory to the argument, the base argument that abortion is murder. And mm. if someone is okay with it in these cases, they're somewhat acknowledging it's <laughs> that murder. it's not murder. <laughs> yeah. Because if you actually felt like this was the yeah. biggest sin or like it's the, one of the worst things you could do, you wouldn't be okay with it in these situations. It's like not, it's like not about murder. It's about the fact that you had sex, you slut. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm, exactly. I'm like that. that exactly. That's how, like, but yeah, that was a not a joke. Yeah. Yes, and yeah. or consequence. Yes, and I think those people are probably the easiest to be reached than other people who are like uh, Mr. Uh, House Speaker Philip Gunn. But um, mm-hmm. uh, something else that I've been seeing a lot from uh, pro-choice people actually that really bothers me is um, the phrase this isn't about abortion for pro-life people people it's about controlling women's bodies obviously this is about controlling women's bodies but you're going nowhere with pro-life people when you say that because my i've i've made that point before yeah yeah because my response would have been and their response would be i don't want to control your body why would i want to do that do what you want with your body. I'm just trying to save the innocent baby that you're trying to murder and rid of life because it's not yeah. just your body now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the it's the it's the baby's body. It's the fetus's body. Yes. You know? Yes. I think there are a lot of arguments that pro-life people say that appeal to other pro-life people but never pro-choice people, but I think that there's also that problem among pro-choice people. So like a pro-life person might make the argument like, you know, well, it's it's not your body it's it's the it's the baby's body they would say the baby's body they wouldn't say fetus they'd say baby it's the baby's body um you know they would say they would say like that this is this is murder or this is about protecting the sanctity of life but a pro-choice person doesn't believe that or at least most pro-choice people probably aren't going to believe that life begins at conception so you're not going to get anywhere with Mm -hmm. a pro-choice person with that argument but if a pro-choice person to your point makes the argument like um, you're, you just want to control women. Well, they might be thinking, no, I don't want to control women. I mean, if, you know, a lot of, if, a lot of them, if they're internally consistent might say like, if men could get pregnant, I'd feel the same way. Right. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how many of them actually would feel the same way, but they probably truly do believe that they'd feel the same way. As long another as men argument, can't get pregnant, they'll claim to feel the same way. Yeah. Another argument that I think that pro-choice people sometimes make that might appeal to other pro-choice people might even be an important pillar and reason behind a, what a pro-choice person believes is you're pro-life but you're pro-death penalty because a lot of people a lot of conservatives are both against abortion and for the death penalty but again i don't think that that's a convincing argument to somebody who's pro-life because they're just going to say like innocent baby convicted murderer right you know like <laughs> it's not the same thing right um yeah uh yeah absolutely um, so I, I'm going to bring in some data points we can talk about for this last part right here. Um, so according to a survey conducted by the Pew Research Center in March, Research Center in March this year, 
13% of U.S. adults view abortion as morally wrong in all cases. 33% view it as morally wrong in most cases. 24% morally acceptable in most cases. 7% morally acceptable in all cases. And 21% said abortion is not a moral issue. I also just have to cite this one piece of the survey because it's just so ridiculous. A majority of Americans, 56%, said women should have more say in setting abortion policy in the U.S. 39% said men and women should have equal say. And 3% said men should have more say. (laughs) who, Who is this? (laughs) <laughs> Who is that 3%? Um, I'm sorry, that would be Mitch McConnell. <laughs> yeah. That's the Mitch McConnell portion of the oh survey? Oh my goodness, yeah. yes. But um, I think that's an interesting point that you bring up that I think sometimes is a pro-choice red herring. As much as I sometimes feel that, where I'm like, why are these idiots who don't know how uteruses work? They don't know how bodies work. Right, I just went through that. I also think sometimes when you say... Um, you know, like men don't get an opinion. It's true, but it's not because Amy Coney Barrett, Barrett, whatever, I don't care how to pronounce her fucking name, but but she made this decision too. And there are also people who are firmly pro-choice who have penises or people who will never get pregnant accidentally who are staunchly pro-choice so i do think it's a difficult argument but i do think it has a place i think for someone who says well i would never ever ever um condone abortion i would say is there any chance you'd ever get pregnant right just point blank is there any possible chance right you don't know what you would do right yeah and i think So for pro-lifers, kind of going back to morality here, I think abortion isn't really about science to them. It's about morality. It's about Mm -hmm. when they believe human life begins at conception. It's about their moral standing of wanting to prevent you from murdering another baby who might end up in the system unloved by the government anyway and who might never be adopted by or have a family and then potentially struggle their way through life once they're out of the system on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I think that... Um, I think that that's where it kind of comes into a difficult situation of trying to convince people otherwise because yeah. morality is such a deep personal thing rooted to like who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I w- I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been trying to think about why, why is it white evangelical Christians almost exclusively that have this position? Like I don't I have some thoughts. <laughs> me too. So let me do those and then I'll do and then I'll <laughs> So, uh, like, I was thinking about this because, like, it's you, you said it, Brie. It's not in the fucking Bible. Yeah, abortion's not in the Bible. It's not mentioned anywhere. Life, and when it might begin, is not really talked about explicitly. When it is implicitly talked about, it's almost exclusively when you're breathing. Like, there are yes. multiple references to like taking a breath as like the first sign of life, like breathing yeah. life into Adam and all that stuff. Like, it is untethered 
to core tenets of the Christian belief. Now, we should be clear that what's in the Bible and what Christians of various sects and evangelicals specifically believe are pretty unconnected. <laughs> um, and uh, that's not to condemn it. It's just that the fact that what's yeah. written in a book that's thousands of years old and what's taught by pastors, like there's no reason to expect them to be connected. They're fucking thousands of years apart and they Translated don't really talk about the same issues. Yeah, yeah. And they're translated a million times. Yeah. Exactly. Like no yeah. one gives a shit about shellfish. Like, um, <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> yeah. Everybody loves it. Um, yeah. but, but, I think what does it, and and Nathan's point about the death penalty is what kind of made me think about this. I think it's sin. I think it's their tyrannical opposition and interest in rooting out sin everywhere, specifically the evangelicals, and like trying to like cleanse and like and like and get away from being a sinning person. Because I think the reason they're so passionate about this issue is because unborn babies are the only souls without sin. They believe that like they're the clean ones. And so not only should we preserve their lives, they're much more important than the sinning mother as a sinning person. They're much more important than other people. They are the clean ones. Like they were dissolved. They were, they were absolved of original sin by Jesus. And therefore they're the only ones that are clean. And so yeah. they can reconcile it easily, easily with the death penalty because of sin. Because a person who arrives on death row deserves it. A mother who is, who is in some way punished with a child deserves it. So maybe in addition to that, I know some of what I have seen is that um, the push for a pro-life movement we know is kind of part of the 19th century more like before that people were not necessarily always thinking about abortion in the same context it was pretty typical um there are some people who would have not wanted it because they think about like you know heirs or something like that but in general abortion wasn't necessarily thought of the way we think of today but i do know that there are some white evangelical sects who really view a ban on abortion as forcing more white people to give birth to white babies and therefore keep the um, like majority white population in the United States. That was also going hand in hand with like these forced sterilization campaigns happening against like black and brown folks. So some of it, can be rooted in like white colonialism and the idea that like the majority of people needs to be white and we need to force that to happen. Yeah. Not all of it, but in like white evangelical, like certain specific fundamental circles. Yeah. Interesting. Another, another religious question, uh, Brie, um, did any pregnant people happen to die during, uh, the, the flood in Noah's Ark? (laughs) (laughs) Of course not, Nathan. (laughs) <laughs> There's no way I, there was any pregnant people living at that time. Because <laughs> it seems to me like, you know, if you're like, like that kind of flies in the face of the whole life begins at conception. So, so I do. <laughs> I did a really quick Google search because I know I said earlier that the Bible doesn't address it. But I did find this study that was published in the National Library of Medicine. And I'm only going to read part of the abstract because... <laughs> I'm not going to go through this research article in five minutes. 
Um, but apparently, um, it does address somewhat something con uh, concerning abortion in Exodus 21, 22 through 25, for those of you who want to look it up later. And I'll just read part of this uh, abstract. It says, this part of the covenant code legislates the case of a pregnant woman who becomes involved in a brawl between two men and has a miscarriage. A distinction is then made between the penalty that is ex to be exacted for the loss of the fetus and injury to the woman. For the fetus, a fine is paid as determined by the husband and the judges. However, if the woman is injured or dies, and I'm gonna screw this up, lex talionis is applied, life for life, eye for eye. The story has somewhat limited application to the current abortion debate since it deals with accidental and not willful pregnancy termination. Even so, the distinction made between the woman and the fetus is important. The woman is valued as a person under the covenant. The fetus is valued as property. Its status is certainly inferior to that of the woman. Wait, 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 wait. So you mean to tell me <laughs> that the Bible is more feminist than conservatives today? Is that what I just I said? Mm, <laughs> I, think, I think actually the Bible is more anti-child. <laughs> You know, yeah, I like mean, it specifically talks about killing like, to children. like a bunch of kids because they made fun of a prophet. And so they killed <laughs> right. like 40 children. There's like they just don't think murder. kids matter in the Bible. And they well, also, also don't think women matter, but a little bit more than kids. Well, also, also, Brie, I, I, another quick religious question. Um, what is it? You know that that holiday that we celebrate in December, uh, Christmas? What, what is <laughs> so what what is it that Christians are celebrating on Christmas? Well, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord. The, <laughs> the birth of Jesus? Well, hold on, whoa, hold on. If life whoa, begins whoa. at conception, why is the birth so important? <laughs> why is that what you're celebrating? You mean um, it should be basically the like Easter time that we celebrate? <laughs> when he, you mean when he came back to life? <laughs> no, like nine months before he was born. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like nine months before he was born. Although oh, I guess well, there's no requirement for God's gestational period to be the same. <laughs> Side note, yeah, Easter is a true. fertility holiday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. But I, know. I, used to, I, I used to tell Brie that every time she'd write eggs. that on her Facebook, and she hated me for it. <laughs> but now you're like, it's time to go to Bone Town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Life is great as an adult. Yes, that is. <laughs> oh, how times have changed. So, the Bible does mention something that has to do with abortion. So, there you go. Well, has to do with a miscarriage. Yeah, that's true. Oh, it's but it's hard willful. to distinguish the two. Somehow the Bible is just as accurate about how shitty these abortion laws are well, as these <laughs> medical doctors. I cannot... I'm trying to find this. Uh, like, I, I probably should have done my research better before this. I'm trying to confirm this. But I saw somewhere that Roman law, abortion, and child abandonment were permitted under Roman law at the time. Doesn't, I mean, I Which just has just as much like relevance as the actual cases cited by <laughs> Samuel Alito <laughs> yeah. in his opinion. Who, by the way, cited a witch hunter. <laughs> To, to Bree's point, like, as I was saying, in a lot of different times of history and culture, abortion was not considered that outrageous or stigmatized. Um, there were a lot of reasons why someone might have had an abortion. And 
we have to acknowledge that in the United States, there has been a concerted effort from some evangelical leaders to really push an anti-choice agenda. And they've been very effective. And part of how they're effective is raising young Christians and teaching them that this is murder and you would never do this. So you don't have to worry about um, wondering what you would do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's common for a lot of people. Um, Brie, you spoke about really feeling for the first time when you thought about being pregnant when you didn't want to be and how that would be so devastating. I know for Nathan, we had a lot of conversations around that where he was still against abortion personally. And I said, you make $950 a month. (laughs) This is something that I hope doesn't come up, but I need you to understand it would be devastating for us to have a child on $950 a month, a thousand miles away from all of our friends and family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up in a middle-class family. We never had to worry about anything financial, or at least I didn't have to worry about anything financially. Like, uh, you just don't know anything. I, I, I think it's, like, interesting because I see a lot of peers that I used to have um back in those christian circles that i was in and everyone thought the same thing about abortion and then everyone gets to like i don't know adulthood college age and then they're like yeah fuck that this is totally (laughs) like okay let's you know be able to have control of our own bodies i just think it's interesting because i feel like a lot of times when you're raised to believe something, you just believe it without question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's yes. not until adulthood when you, when you, you know, are able to assess the circumstances of issues yourself and the consequences and mm-hmm. the risks and everything. And it's wild to me that there are women that I see in photos in the newspapers on television and they're like my age and they still think that this is like that you know abortion should be banned i just can't wrap my mind around why someone would be okay with making someone go through something like that which like you know we've been over through that this whole podcast can be very traumatizing and in some cases fatal (laughs) well yeah you've had all this growth And some people just never get to that point where they start to deconstruct things and wonder about whether the things they learned growing up are actually true. Um, It's the critical thinking for me. Mm -hmm. If it's all right, I'd like to end with a quote from The Descent from Stephen Breyer. He said, uh, I'm going to substitute people who can become pregnant for women because he says women a lot but this is more widely applicable than that. He says, young people that become pregnant today will come of age with fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers. From the very moment of fertilization, a person who can become pregnant has no rights to speak of. A state can force her to to bring a pregnancy to term, even at the steepest personal and familial costs. With sorrow for this court, but more for the millions of Americans who could become pregnant who have today lost a fundamental constitutional protection, we dissent. (laughs) 
And with that, we will end our show as we usually do on our highlights. So we got a lot to get through today, so let's keep them fast, folks. All right, Nathan, what's your highlight? <laughs> well, Michael, my highlight is the fact that Jess and I are now in our new house Ooh. and we're we're settling in. And that's that's why we took so much time off the pod because we had to spend some time moving. And I would also like to give a huge thankful to th- thank you, <laughs> well, thank you to my good friend Michael, who uh, helped his poor friend who was still um, who was still uh, recovering from surgery for cancer um, and could not lift anything heavy. So Michael, you you were you were real you were real awesome that day. I really appreciated you. Um, so Jess, what was your highlight? My highlight is that we bought a couch, which couches are stupid expensive, yeah. but I am a potato of the couch variety. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, babe? What's your, uh, what's your highlight? Uh, I didn't think about this. I guess the fact that we celebrated five years of marriage and 11 years together. So we... that was exciting. That better be your mm-hmm. highlight too. <laughs> well, well, my highlight, my highlight is we're actually doing the celebrating this coming weekend. Oh, yes. and I'm super looking forward to it. It's gonna be super, super fun. Nice. Congratulations, y'all. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Congratulations. Dude. Um, and so we'll take a moment, of course, to thank our amazing patrons. So thank you to Taylor Bloom, uh, Jerry Deviller, uh, Fade Out Scoop, Kyle Chaska, and Tobias Jansen for being our patrons. And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum, and you'll hear from us again next week.